please, Rebecca. Let's uh, pray in preparation for the message. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray as, as we uh, prepare for the, the message this morning, as we prepare to uh, hear your word, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you'd touch our hearts and our minds. Lord God, I pray that you would put the right words in my mouth. Help me to, um, help me to be honest. Help me to be truthful. Help me to unpack the, the wealth that's in your word, Lord. And, and at the same time, I pray that you would um, be with the folks who are here. I pray that you would help this, this uh, preaching of the gospel, this preaching of the word, to, to sink into their hearts, to, to find good, fertile soil and grow into something great. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, there was a short period of time in college when um, after, uh, after my first year at college away uh, had happened, I, I took a summer job at a, uh, at a steel processing plant in, in South Chicago. And I, I worked there for several months, and, and I, I learned a lot, um, but almost nothing about how to process steel properly. Um, or how to work on a on a manufacturing line for heavy steel gauge um, materials. Like it, it was not my gift set. And I learned that if I had done that job for any length of time, I would have been crushed in a horrible death. And I mainly knew that because the guys who worked around me told me that several times a day. Um, that that it was only a matter of time before I was horribly killed. And I I did not like it. My father worked there when he was in college, which is funny because some of the people remembered him. And, and spoke well of him. Um, um, I don't think anybody spoke well of me by the time I was done. Uh, I, it, was, it, was, it was the worst job I have ever had. Um, and I remember before, no, it was. <laughs> before I went off to college, or went off to work in that plant, I had a job in the, in the kitchen at the school. And basically my job was washing dishes. And I cannot tell you how much I hated washing dishes. I hate washing dishes today, um, but I really hated it then because I would get other people's half-eaten food, and I would get to deal with that, and I, I had a lot of pride, and I felt like it was kind of a beneath-me job, and I, I, I made the people around me miserable, and I was one of the only employees at the school cafeteria that ever almost got fired um, because I, I complained incessantly. I had a bad attitude. I would skip work regularly. I hated it. Then I worked in that steel mill. And by the end of the summer, I was volunteering to work in the kitchen um, because I learned that, like, there are much worse things than washing dishes. Um, and I so badly wanted to be back at that kitchen washing dishes and not working in that steel plant. In fact, I think I quit early so I could, so I could work in the kitchen. Um, and, and there were a lot of comments about, wow, your attitude has changed so much. I can't believe how different you are. And I can't believe, you know, how, how much you had changed. And what I learned was... Not all work is created equal, right? I went from a place where I hated working in the kitchen, and I did it because I had to, to where I learned that it could be worse, and I loved working in the kitchen because I knew the alternatives. Um, as we work into this message today, um, John is... Uh, John is continuing his argument. He's dealing with a church that's had some significant fracturing, Right? that's had, had some infighting, that's had some conflict. And this conflict um, has been connected to some false teachers. And John is attacking these false teachers. He's kind of going at them in this last section and then this one. And going forward, his attack kind of ramps up. 
right? And he really goes after them. And I want to explain a couple things as we do this. Like, John is the last disciple alive. He, um, if you read his gospel, it's very different from the other three gospels because John's emphasis is, is heavily on, um, he talks about love a lot, right? He, it's a very Jewish book. Um, John talks about love and sacrifice and, like, the importance of following Christ almost more than anything else. Um, in fact, John, one of the things I, I mentioned last week that I'm going to mention this week, John um, talks about the importance of acknowledging Christ as the Son of God and, like, following him and that, like, rejection of Christ is, is like, sort of the big sin that you commit, right? Like, putting Jesus off or teaching falsely about him is, like, a huge deal, um, we have gremlins in our computers right now. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble. Um, so in the previous section, just real quick, and actually I was thinking I might reread it just to, um, John has um, sort of explained how much God loves us and like how we're to respond to that. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because if it did not, because it did not know him. Here you go. <laughs> um, beloved, now we are now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as of yet what we shall be. Um, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because he shall we shall see him just as he is. Uh, sorry, my reading is really bad this morning. I'm all off. Uh, and everyone who has hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Meaning everybody who has their eyes set on Jesus and is following him, they purify themselves. This is kind of what we're called to do as his followers. Um, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You have, and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil is sinned from the beginning. And the Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, and we should love one another. So John has kind of driven point this, this idea home. It's already stopped working, honey. Um, John's already driven, uh, John's driven this. I'm just going to restart it and see if I can get it to work by restarting it. Um, John's driven this point home. Um, if you are going to be a son of God, like if you belong to Jesus, you're going to act like somebody who belongs to Jesus. Like it's a natural offshoot, right? Um, it is a natural thing that I compared it to dogs, right? Like my kids leave their sandwiches out and the dog eats it, right? And like, like that's because he's a dog. That's what dogs do. Um, Children of God, people who are adopted into God's family, are made new, have the Holy Spirit seated in them. They act like children of God. It's a natural offshoot. Um, so John starts diving into what does this mean exactly? Can you bump me to the next one? Uh, and we're starting at verse 11. 
and hopefully I can, I can balance all this confusion here. I apologize. For this is the message, um, by the way, last verse in the previous section, um, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Um, John drives this home over and over again in the Gospel of John. Actually, it's because he's quoting Jesus. Jesus in um, John's Gospel, one of the spots he says, this is how people will know you're my disciple, by your love for your brothers, right? Like if you love one another, people will know that you're my disciple. That's my marker on you. So when you encounter folks who sort of overtly and unapologetically and unrelentingly love their brothers in Christ, like you know these are people who are of Christ. If you want to see like the sign of Jesus' teaching, it is this love thing, right? Holiness through obedience, is good. But it needs to be an offshoot of, needs to be an offshoot of that love of Christ that's in us. And John is about to work this topic over very thoroughly. Um, because, and this is really what this sermon is about. We're going to be talking about love an awful lot. And so, um, before we do that, I want to explain one really quick crazy thing. The word love as it's used in the New Testament, it's agape, right? How many of y'all have heard this before? Um, I'm going to give a little bit of additional weight to this. Agape is self-sacrificing love. It means love without desire to be repaid. It's love paying out of yourself for the other person. But this, like agape, is almost unheard of in the ancient world before the New Testament starts using it. And in fact, there is no other concept in the ancient literature that is similar. Like love as it's used by the, by the New Testament writers is wholly unique. Um, it's 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 revolutionary. This idea of selfless love. Um, when we hear love, we think about I don't know warm and yes, we think about God. But as a culture, we think about warm and squishy things, right? We think about you know Valentine's Day is coming up, or or we think about our significant other, or we think about you know tacos. I love tacos. You know I love that. It's it's I have a strong feeling. I, uh, I yes, <laughs> and Irving loves tacos too. Um, there is there is a deeper meaning to this. Love is he's using it here. Love as Jesus used it is an act of will more than feeling. Do you understand me? Um, it is an act of will. There are times you love somebody, but you don't feel that warm toward them, right? Uh, there are times you love someone and you would just as soon strangle them. Anybody who is a parent thoroughly understands this, right? I love my children to death, but there are days, you know, <laughs> and they're still young. They haven't grown into their full, like, like obnoxiousness. Um, and so as, as John opens here, man, it is really distracting to fight with this thing. Um, as John opens here, um, he opens with, hey, this is Jesus' teaching. Love one another. Be all about this thing. You cannot get away from this. Um, this is a love that ex- is extended to all men because that's how Jesus taught it. But um, there's no, like, illusion about the fact that Jesus also taught that especially we're to love our brothers and sisters, like, in the family of God. Hear that and understand it, okay? This is especially aimed at each other, right? Um, we are especially to love brothers and sisters in Christ. I love, I don't know, I, I, I love Jeremy, right? I don't always like Jeremy, but I love Jeremy. And I demonstrate my love for Jeremy in a lot of ways, right? 
Um, I, I do my best for him, um, even when I don't want to. Um, I have an actual brother. His name is Peter, right? Um, and my brother is, is awesome. I, I am very proud of my brother. I have a different kind of love for my brother, right? Um, this is the idea here. We should have a different kind of love for the family of God. Right? We should have a different level of love. Like we should have a special connection to each other. And that should permeate everything we do. And John, like, sort of drives this point home beginning with a negative example, which is sort of interesting that he would start with a negative example. But it's got a lot of weight. And watch this because, because it's an ugly weight. Do not be like Cain. Everybody knows who Cain was, right? Um, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did, and why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were, righteousness, were righteous. There are a couple of hidden things here that if you're not an ancient Jew, you don't know. Okay, so I'm going to give you some background. First off, um, you can know this from the Old Testament. The Bible actually never describes Cain as like a son of the devil or as like an evil person, right? We do know from Genesis 4... Um, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Meaning like Cain offered his sacrifice and Abel offered his sacrifice. God rejected Cain's sacrifice, right? And he accepted Abel's. Um, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Um, What he's talking about, God is telling Cain, hey, You're doing evil, and that's the problem. That's why I'm not accepting your sacrifice. And it's funny, actually, the Cain and Abel thing. I have heard probably 50 sermons on why that's about giving money, and it has nothing to do with it, right? It just doesn't. It's not a sermon about tithing. Cain and Abel, Cain was wicked. Cain did evil things. Cain acted like, as in the previous section we looked at, he acted like a son of the devil, right? Because he wasn't righteous. He did bad things. He had a wicked heart. And ultimately, that's why God rejected his offering. And Cain's response was, well, if Abel did it right, what am I going to do? I'll kill him. And actually, the Old Testament word, he took him out into the field, and the word is butchered him. Like, he didn't just kill him. He killed him good, right? Or bad. I don't know. (laughs) Get bogged down in semantics there. Um, Now, the idea that that Cain was a child of the devil, by the way, is not something we find in the Bible. It's implied in what John is writing because he's just talked about this and now he's brought up Cain, right? And in the intertestamental literature, so like Jewish writers between when Malachi was done and Jesus was born, you had all these Jewish writers who talked about Cain as a son of the devil, right? As a son of the evil one. Um, And so like John is trotting out Cain with the implication, Cain is a son of the devil. Um, Cain had a wicked heart. Cain's choice to murder his brother, his failed offerings, all of this stuff was because he was, he had evil actions. Like he had these evil, evil things that came out of him. His brother was righteous. By the way, if we read Hebrews, um, Paul probably Probably Paul wrote it, maybe Luke, who knows. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Um, One of the fundamental differences there we can find is Abel was a man who trusted God. Abel was a man who followed God. Abel was a man whose 
actions reflected that like following of God. Cain, on the other hand, was not a man of faith. That's why his actions were, were evil. That's why his offering was rejected. There is a contrast there. And it's going to come around, mind you. Pay attention because this is important. Um, 13 and 14. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. By the way, this was in the previous section, right? Um, in the previous section of the text, we talked about the world will hate you. The world will hate you. And this is also something that Jesus said. You know, don't be surprised when the world hates you. It hates me. You're my followers. It'll hate you. So do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, when the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, now, um, right after Cain and Abel, Cain, who's wicked, murders Abel, who's righteous, because Cain is wicked and he murders the righteous. That's what, that's what happens. Um, and then he says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. So he's comparing people who hate you to... Cain, right? He's implying that like there's a whole lot of the world that acts in this way, that is stuck in this like imprisonment to sin, like this 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 prison that we're in, like that we we're all born in. Um, the world hates that. Part of the reason he's probably playing this out is because there's conflict in this church that he's writing to, where you had a group of people who said Jesus wasn't really the Son of God, and we're not saved by following Jesus. None of this stuff matters. Just put it aside. And they would tell people, we're perfect. Our actions are righteous and perfect and awesome. Look at how great we are. And they would put all this stuff out there, and in reality, they were really hypocritical, and they were like sort of constantly in conflict with the mother church, like the parent church. There's all this conflict, and Jesus is comparing these people to Cain. He's saying, listen, these folks who are acting up and they're creating problems, they're teaching falsely about Jesus, they're creating like conflict in the body of Christ. He's comparing them to Cain. He's pointing them toward Cain, saying, listen, these guys are like that, but... But we know that we've passed from life, death to life because, what was it again? Love. Close, because we love one another. Um, he's just gotten done with this whole section about how do you know that you're like a son of God? How are you assured of it? Because you've become righteous, because you've purified yourself, because you've stepped away from evil de- deeds, right? Well, now he attributes it to loving one another, Right? So, like, if we're going to draw the obvious inference, part of purifying yourself is learning to love, or, love your brothers and sisters. And, by the way, that's agape love, meaning it's a selfless love, meaning that we put aside our own needs and our own desires and our own everything in favor of the other person and serving them and helping to pull them towards God. Like, this is the life we're supposed to live. Um, if we don't do that, like, Anyone who does not love remains in death, meaning if you cannot manage to love your brothers and sisters, like you're in a bad spot. This is not about feeling, and John's actually going to say that, which is awesome. Um, This is about an act of will to behave toward each other in a certain way. Now, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is actually from the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, Jesus said, like, hey... You know, hating your brother is unacceptable. You're guilty of the same thing as a murderer at that point. You cannot hate your brother. It is not acceptable. Um, John, or Jesus, um, Jesus was pretty unequivocal about this, um, about the idea that, that hatred is an unacceptable, like an obvious sin. Now, here's what my offering on this topic. I think that the reason for this is, is 
um, you can't murder your brother and pretend that you're in Jesus, right? I take Michael out into the yard and, and beat him to death. Like, I can't turn around and say, yay, Jesus, right? Nobody's buying that. Fair enough? Um, however, as a, as a church culture, it's easy to hate someone and shroud it in righteous terms, right? Oh, it's okay because they're wrong. It's okay because they believe this. It's okay because they did that, and that justifies my own hatred. Nope. It's just not true. Um, Jesus was making it clear. Listen, if you are going to be my follower, if you are going to be righteous before God, um, if you are going to be in the right place, like hating, having your heart in this place where it's filled with venom and wickedness and anger and everything else, this is just as bad. And honestly, it's just as bad because both people aren't in Christ. Right? Because both people are residing outside of Jesus. Because both people are acting as though they're not sitting in this place of like Christ within me. Um, And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. The implication again is, you're not in Christ if you hate people. You're not in Christ if you treat other people with hatred. You're not in Christ if you act contemptuously toward people or, or what have you. I mean, like, there's no Christ in that. Um, for John, eternal life is a funny thing. Um, eternal life isn't about never dying, right? John makes it very clear that eternal life is being in Christ. It is residing and living in Christ. It is walking in harmony with Jesus and his teachings. And so it's not about like he's saying, listen, Jesus ain't living in you. You are not in this relationship with Christ if hatred is at the core of who you are. If you are walking in this place of hatred, if you're looking at your brothers and saying, hey, you know, gosh, that guy, um, eternal life isn't residing there. You aren't in Christ at that point. That is a problem. Um, it's a problem we can't just ignore. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, or laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Um, Where it's a tough one to apply, isn't it? Actually, it it just is. I mean, like, I can only die once, right? I don't particularly want to die now. Um, (laughs) John puts it out there in the starkest of terms because Jesus did it in the starkest of turns. When you and I were wicked, when you and I were rebellious, when you and I were dead in our hearts and souls... Jesus was tortured, crucified, and carried God's wrath for our sins on himself, right? We are forgiven. We're made clean and whole because he was punished in our stead. That is fantastic news, right? But it's a really exceedingly high bar, isn't it? Um, It is an exceptionally high bar, but it's an exceptionally high bar because it's what we're called to aim for. It's supernatural in nature. How do we love our brothers? We lay down our lives for them. Um, 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Um, What's John telling us? He's saying, listen, you probably can't die every day physically, right? Not all of us can do what Jesus did. However, when we see each other in need, we can take care of each other, right? Um, When we see each other struggling, we can take care of each other. If we see another person hurting and we have no pity on them, guess what? 
It's not acceptable. By the way, the opposite of love, is it hate? It's actually indifference, maybe, right? That's what John's saying. You look at your brother and you're indifferent to him, you don't love him. You just don't. Um, how do we apply this? First off, it is a financial thing. We should take care of each other, right? Because this is what John is putting out there. We should take care of each other. If, like, you know, you got a brother or sister in need who's financially broke, like, you take care of them. We live in a very different world. We are not quite as poor as they were, right? I mean, this is a world where people actually starve to death on a regular basis. When was the last time anybody in Montana starved to death? It doesn't happen very often, right? Or, you know, what have you. I'm going to argue that taking care of each other's physical needs is a part of it, but there's another step. Um, there are people, people all around us, who nobody talks to them all week unless they, you know, like, like, approach them. Anybody ever been in that spot where, like, you go days and nobody says a word to you? That's a hard place, isn't it? There are people who, um, who've lost family, who've lost loved ones, who've been hurt in horrible ways that need folks to just care for them, right? There are people who are horrible and, and, you know, that's what they've learned. You ever meet somebody like that where they're just nasty and mean and it's because everybody around them is nasty and mean and they've been trained real good to be nasty and mean and, like, this is where they're at. Gosh, I don't want to love people like that, do you? I, I worked with a guy, actually, this is, um, I'm not good at this stuff. I'm going to acknowledge I am a sinner through and through. Um, I worked with a guy for years at, at the children's home who, man, we were at each other's throats on a regular basis. I, I, a couple times I had shouting matches with him behind office doors, and I, you know, just, it was a, such a headache to deal with him. And, and one day I was praying about him, and I realized that I was responding to his, like, being kind of nasty to me by being nasty back, right, just like Jesus taught. <laughs> and I said, well, all right, then I'm going to pray for this guy. No matter how big a headache he is, I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to serve him ten times over because that's obviously what he needs. And I began praying for him. And one day I'm sitting at lunch. He's at the staff table with me, and he talks about his car breaking down and how he can't afford to fix it. And I said, oh, well, I'll come over and take care of that for you. And he kind of looked at me funny, and I don't think he had a whole lot of options. <laughs> and I went over, and I spent a whole day in the snow fixing his car. And I think I paid for most of the parts. Um, and then I went back, and I talked to him again. How's your car running? Thank you so much. It's not a big deal. And then I found other ways to serve him. I found ways to pick up work from him. I found ways to, like, like love this guy. And when he was nasty to me, I tried my best to be loving to him because that's how awesome I am. No, in reality, I am fallen and horrible. But um, but sometimes we as Christians justify our wrong actions by other people's wrong actions. But as believers, we're not called to act according to how other people act, think, believe, what their attitudes are, none of that stuff. We're called to act according to Jesus. And so we love people who are unlovable, even when we don't want to. We love people who are inconsiderate. We love people who step on our toes. We love people who need somebody to love them. We love people who are unlovable. We go out of our way to do things for people who don't deserve it, right? Um, what's going on? Oh, there it is. 
sorry, I just spent like 12 minutes on that particular verse. Um, and it was a good verse, so I feel good about it. Um, by the way, John drew that out of, I'm trying to draw in some contextual stuff here. Um, this is from Deuteronomy. This is a part of the law, right? If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land of the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted and tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites give them and give them nothing. They may, excuse me, they may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Um, what he's talking about is, he's talking about this idea. Um, this is 19 or 20, actually. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set the, our hearts at rest in his presence. If our heart condemns us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Um, now watch this. This is what Deuteronomy was saying, and I, I read it. Should have read it after the John verse. I got that backward. Um, the John verse is saying, um, and what Deuteronomy is saying is, when you look at other people and you say, "I shouldn't actually take care of them. I shouldn't financially go out of my way for them because they don't deserve it. I shouldn't be patient with them because they don't deserve my patience. I shouldn't." And I'm, I'm going to confess to this one. I've been impatient with my wife all week. You know, I've been horrible and impatient and, and sort of gruff. And um, I've justified it by saying, well, she started it, right? Um, but in reality, what's going on there is my heart is being hard and I'm not acting Christ-like. And in those moments, this is how we know the truth, right? If my heart condemns me, my heart says, you should not offer grace. You should not offer love. You should not give that money. You should not take care of that person. You should not be patient with them. You should not speak in nice words. You should not, you should not, you should not, you should not. You know, those, those people believe different politics than I do. I shouldn't love them. Those people, you know, they're Seahawks fans. No loving those guys. Um, if our heart condemns us, if our heart speaks out against us loving, we back up and we say, this is what my heart says. This is what Jesus taught me. Which one am I going to do? Anyone? You should probably do what Jesus taught. Somebody mistreats you, you love them. Somebody strikes you on the right cheek, what do you do? You offer them the left, right? Somebody persecutes you, you, you pray for them. Somebody mistreats you, you love them. Um, especially in the body of Christ. Somebody steps on your toes, you back up, you show patience, you love them, and you work toward resolution and toward harmony and grace like in the body. This is the calling we have. Um, and you know what? It happens all the time. Being in proximity to other people in a body of Christ, right? It is hard. How many of y'all have ever watched a church fight? Really? Just a few of us? <laughs> um, that happens because we forget that we're supposed to love each other even when we don't agree. It's just the truth. That happens because we forget that we're supposed to be patient with each other when we're offended. That happens because we want our way and we're going to have it. And it doesn't matter how many people we have to drive away from Jesus. It's obviously the gospel truth that I should get what I want. Right? But that's not what Christ teaches. Christ teaches us love each other even when it hurts. 
Love each other even when it's hard. Love each other even when it doesn't make sense. Love each other the way that Jesus loved us. Because when we were still in our sins, Jesus died for us. And when our neighbor is wrong, we still die for them. Even if it's just our flesh dying, our sinful desire dying. And it's actually kind of a blessing because the more that you go through, the more you learn to be like Jesus, right? That stupid set of Jeep brakes taught me more about being Christ-like than all of my own preaching ever did. It's kind of funny, isn't it? And it taught me more about how much of a hypocrite I was because instead of trying to serve this guy, I tried to fight him. Fortunately, God's not done with me yet. Dear friends, if our hearts do not contemn us, meaning our hearts don't say, don't help that guy out, don't forgive, don't do this, don't do that, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments, his commands, and do what pleases him. Meaning, if I'm in a spot where I look at somebody in need and nothing inside me says, don't help them, that's a great sign. My... Wife, which is hypothetical, my wife says something that upsets me, and I never have to think, well, probably got to forgive her, but I don't want to. Instead, I just naturally forgive. That's a sign that I'm becoming Christ-like. Does it mean that I'm not like in Christ before? No, because I'm still striving to be Christ-like. But you know you're getting there when your heart operates in harmony with your will to love other people. And it is our will to love other people that should drive us forward. Right? You want to read about that. John 7 and the beginning of John 8 is all about that, right? Paul talks about wrestling with his flesh, like part of him wants to do sin and the other part wants to do good. This is what he's talking about. I want to be like Jesus, but man, I really want to stick it to people who are wrong. I want to really stick it to people whose opinions are incorrect. Somebody wrote something on Facebook, and I should definitely, I've been struggling with that all week. <laughs> but I still got to love those people, right? I got to. I gotta, because it's what I'm called to do. Because it's what it means to be like Christ. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something that I learned. Um, And this is a free one. Watch. Hating people and living in bitterness and anger is a little slice of hell. You will never, ever, ever experience Christ fully. You will never experience the glory of walking in step with Jesus if you, do, you know, if you live in this angry place. It kills you inside. It rots your heart. It makes you miserable and angry, and eventually you reach this point where you're angry all the time. It is poison spiritually, right? You end up like me working in the steel mill, right? When you discover how much easier it is to walk in harmony with Jesus, it's worth doing. Then all of a sudden washing dishes is like candy, you know, just don't make me, don't make me deal with that steel mill. Um, don't make me live in my sin anymore. Pursuing Christ is so much better, so much easier. Fills you up, makes your life worth living. And this is his command. I actually wasn't planning on preaching 23 and 24, um, but I'm going to finish the chapter and we'll probably go over these again next week. And this is his command, to believe in, his, in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. No one who keeps God's commands lives, lives in, or excuse me, the one who keeps God's command lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us, meaning we love 
the Holy Spirit operates in us. We overcome our fleshly desire to convict and attack and fight and everything else, um, to hold back love, grace, provision, everything else. Like we overcome this mess, and this is how we know we're in harmony with Christ. How do we apply this? I think I've done a lot of application along the way, but I'm going to be very clear. Um, love each other. Everybody got it? Love each other. Love each other when you don't feel like it. Love each other when it doesn't make sense. Love the people who have nothing to offer you, right? Love the people you disagree with. Love the people that offend you and wrong 